This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, happy Monday. Righto, today's guest is voice and dialect coach and actor, Matt Filani. Matt Filani and I met, oh, I did a three-day acting workshop and the teacher said to me, I was like, what can I work on? And he said, Lola, you're a head actor, you need vocal work and you need to figure out how to be grounded when you speak. So I sought out Matt Filani. He came highly recommended and honestly, I've been training with him now, I think for about two years straight. So I started off doing privates with him and then he was the dialect coach of 16th Street where I studied for the last year and a half or so before I moved to Byron. And now I continue working with him via Zoom. He's unreal. I work with him mainly on American dialect and at school I was doing Southern dialect with him. But what I love about this interview is we talk about voice in general. So don't worry if you're not into acting, he'll talk to you about how the voice is really powerful and how an Australian voice works. It's really, really fascinating. He's trained all over the world. He's worked at the Melbourne Theatre Company. He's such a little go-getter. I really hope you enjoy this chat with Matt Filani. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Filani, actor, voice coach. You're my voice teacher. That is true, yes. We've been talking about this podcast for, I feel like I've been talk, trying to get you on this for a few months now. Uh, yeah, April, I think, was the first time we uh, floated the idea. So good, though, to finally be here in real life as well. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so I want to talk about your your career and your journey to do what you do, and then I want to talk a little bit about voice in depth because you have completely changed not only the way I use my voice as an actor, but you've changed the way I use my voice as a human being. Great. In like everyday life, if that makes sense. Mm. So first of all, you studied at VCA. Yes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So you did the Bachelor of Dramatic Art? Yeah, the three-year Bachelor in 2007. Was that brutal? Was it hard? It was. It was At the time, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Really? Nine to five, five days a week. Most weekends you'd spend at least one day in there, you know, rehearsing, preparing for whatever you had to do next week. And uh, it was, yeah, you were constantly hammered from all directions to be broken down and then built back up into, yeah, the best performer that you could be. It was very, very tough. That's an element of drama school I wasn't expecting, the whole like we're going to break you down so you're vulnerable and open and then we can kind of like build you back up. I didn't realise there was that element to drama school. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we come with so many habits, don't we? Totally. And they've got to be emptied before yeah. the, a, a new, more positive habit can can be put in place. So after VCA, did then you do um, post-grad in voice? Then, yeah, I a couple of years went by and I was working on a play as an actor mm-hmm. and one of my mentors, the great Geraldine Cook, mm-hmm. who was the head of voice at VCA and later the head of the whole performance, you know, the whole school, mm-hmm. the acting school, she was the voice coach and she said, well, we're doing a one-year certificate next year in yeah. voice. Yeah. Uh, it would be good if you looked into it. So I went along and, and sure enough, it was what I was into. I did that one year, a couple of years went by and I was working on another play. And again, Geraldine's the voice coach. And she says, well, now we're going to do a postgraduate diploma, you know, a dip ed in, in, in this stuff. So you should come and use the year that you've already done and, you know, do another year and then you can do something with this. So I went right back and it was a no brainer. What's made you, uh, so I feel like, Yes, you're passionate, so passionate about acting because you're an actor, of course, but you definitely have this kind of like purpose around voice and you've got such a clear command of your own voice. And I mean that as a compliment, like 
you know when Matt's in the room, right? Right. You've got this, and and not in a like uh, loud way, just in like I, it feels like you understand your voice to its core. Well, I don't know about to its core, but we've been working <laughs> alongside each other for a while now, yeah. so we've made friends. Yeah. We, um, what made you want to go down the voice path? Did you get feedback or? Well, I think to begin with, I've always been fascinated by by voices mm-hmm. and um, mimicry and imitation was a big part of like growing up. I also have memories of like holding cassette recorders to the TV, like taping the audio yeah. of, of whatever it was and yeah. then like listening, having like cassette tapes yeah. of a TV show. Um, so I was sort of fascinated by, yeah, the voice. And then I actually got to drama school and uh, they said, yeah, listen, <laughs> your voice is a disgrace. You know, you've got all these issues. You've got tension. You've got, you know, laziness. You're working too hard. You're pushing. We can't understand you. The meaning of the text is Mm. completely lost. And that was like a pretty, you know, daunting moment as like a 19-year-old guy guy from Tassie living in Melbourne being told in first year, yeah, it's just it's not working. It's holding you back. So I sort of became from that point very obsessive with with shaking that off. Yeah. and I worked very hard in diving deep into that area uh, and that led me to the works of Kristen Linklater, yeah. Patsy Rodenberg, Sis Berry. Did you get a scholarship to go and study? Yeah, so that it, it was all sort of, you know, good timing with, yeah. with some of this stuff where I had just finished my postgraduate certificate in 2015 mm-hmm. and I applied for the Mike Walsh Travelling Fellowship which is that what that was what that's, the Kristen thing was? Yeah, yeah exactly. So that that's uh, you know quite a generous sum of money that Mike Walsh, who uh, you know you might remember from like he was Bert Newton's offsider back uh. in the day on TV, and he owns a bunch of theaters around the world, and he pretty generously uh, distributes you know tens of thousands of dollars every year for Australian artists to fund some training that they have to do overseas. Mm. So the prerequisite is. You've been to drama school in the last 10 years mm-hmm. and this training has to be done somewhere other than Australia. So it was good timing coming right off the back of my my new degree, mm-hmm. being able to say I want to work as a voice coach, you know, in Australia and I think that's one area where Australian actors could really do with a little more craft. Totally. And it happened that he agreed. It was a pet hate of his as well apparently. Uh, so <laughs> it, it sort of lined up and, and that uh, I was lucky enough to go over and work with Kristen Linklater in person in Orkney. In mm-hmm. the north of Scotland, and stay with her for three weeks, and and yeah, that was a massive turning point in solidifying this choice that I had made. It was like, yeah, I I want to do this absolutely. She's at like a retreat up almost, hasn't she? Where you she, can yeah. go and study with her. It was very, it was very sort of Lord of the Rings, you know, going <laughs> yeah. to see the wizard, and <laughs> yeah. you're out on this this windblown island in the middle of the North yeah. Sea. You know, Norway is in one direction, and the to- the north coast of Scotland's in the other direction. Mm. And you stay on site. Mm. She's got this giant, you know, old manor house and you just go, she's got a voice like studio built and you just go in there and work every day with a group. Um, It's amazing. Yeah. No TV, no internet, nothing. Yeah, it's just you and the Orkney, uh, you know, uh, nature and landscape. It's really beautiful. I'm pretty sure like class one, term one, I'm pretty sure you were quoting her book. And you and and you can tell because I've I've researching you. I kind of went down the rabbit hole of researching her as well. And her mm. book is freeing the natural voice. And I just love the concept of that because that means anybody listening to this, this doesn't apply just to an actor or a singer or a, somebody that needs to use their voice for their work. It literally comes down to like communicating who you really are, communicating who you really are, and rediscovering something that is your birthright. You were the, the greatest thing about her work, just to quickly encapsulate yeah. that, is Linklater s- suggests that you are born with a free, connected, mm. organic, intuitive voice that serves your needs as a little defenseless baby perfectly. Mm. And as we know, babies scream the house down for months on end and never lose their voice mm. and never get croaky. And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all fry. that stuff gets yeah. learned later. So really all the work that 
you know, I'm doing both as, as a student and then now teaching it is to help students, whatever they do with their voice, maybe it's on the phone at a telemarketer job eight mm. hours a day, maybe it's a teacher in a classroom, mm. maybe it's a lawyer. Mm. Um, all I'm teaching those people to do or helping them discover is that natural voice that's buried deep down under years of habit and yeah. insecurity, anxiety, fear. You know, you were laughed at in grade three when you stood up and did your presentation. Mm. This stuff stays with us and totally. it, we feel that and we hear that in the voice. I love that you just explained all of that much more eloquently than I ever could, so th <laughs> thank you. Um, I want to kind of come back. I'm going to come back to voice 100%, but mm. I want to, like, discover you. You have been so much fun to research. and. Because you've been in both TV stuff, film, but also theatre, there's a lot on YouTube. So you, my friend, were a lot of fun to go down the rabbit hole <laughs> I'm of glad researching. To hear that. So the first thing that I saw of you was uh, Melbourne Theatre Company, The Boy at the Edge of Everything. Yeah, yeah, amazing play. Was by... that so much fun? Yeah, that was the best. Um, a fellow Tasmanian wrote it, Finnegan Crocknemeyer. Mm -hmm. uh, he's actually Australia's most pr prolific playwright. <gasps> he's got something like. 80, this was five years ago, it's probably got more now, 80 plays published. He's oh, wow. an incredibly prolific guy. Um, that's that's that insane. Was, that, was, that was amazing. And to work with, you know, the, Peter Houghton, the director, yeah. uh, and all, you know, the rest of the cast and all the team at MTC, incredible. Yeah. A, a few nights ago you were um, helping us with our scene study in class where we were doing southern accents and whatnot, and mm -hmm. you explained that when you were working at Melbourne Theatre Company you would go in like an hour or two before your call time, warm your voice up. This is before your call time. Is that right? Yeah, so my thought was I want to come to the floor. The problem with a rehearsal is you never have enough time. The clock's right. always ticking. Yeah. Before you know it, it's the 11 o'clock break. Before you know it, it's lunchtime. Before you know it, you know it, we've got to go home. Yeah. And we've got about typically four to five weeks at most to rehearse anything before we have to start that's getting on the stage and performing. So that's really tough. So my thought was I want to come to the floor as prepared as I can for that day's work. Mm -hmm. So. Great thing about somewhere like MTC is they've got the facilities. They have a dedicated soundproof yeah. voice room that you can book out. So I would come in, you know, an hour or so before the day started mm -hmm. and I would work the text and warm up and really just get as robust and, and familiar with it as I could. So the minute I step on stage and the director says, okay, let's take it from the top of scene five, well, everything that I'm offering he can do something with. Yeah. You're ready. Yeah, rather than going, oh, now I'm into it 40 minutes into the session. Yeah. Now I'm really warmed up. Yeah. Uh, we don't have time for that. Can you see the difference also being an actor? Can you see the difference in the people that do take the time to prepare and be ready and go that extra mile versus people that I'm sure there would be like, um, Ian, my teacher famously says, like a, a lot of actors are lazy. Yes, it can, or, or at least the discipline and the repetition that some of this stuff requires it's not exciting after a couple of weeks. Got it. It's it's like eating your vegetables and taking your vitamins. It's just yeah. sort of got to become habit. But I've found all the vocal stuff that you've taught me, you can do it driving, you yeah. can do it in the shower, yeah. you can do it when you're making dinner if you want to. Like it's quite, it's not like it's super strenuous or extra hard. It just means you need to kind of like tick it off your list and do it daily just like you would be brushing your teeth basically. Absolutely. And I think the biggest difference both in a situation like that and the difference between an actor who is prepared and or warmed up and isn't is consciousness. Yeah. Are you conscious in what you're doing or are you unconscious in it? And mm. if you come in unconsciously, warm up unconsciously, are distracted and thinking about other things, well, you're just not able to bring as much as you could if you weren't like that. So I think okay. that consciousness versus unconsciousness is the big difference. And as you say, you can unstack the dishwasher yeah. and practice a vocal exercise that's just as effective as doing it in the studio if you're conscious yeah. about it. Totally, and it's like that presence as well. Like you're there, you know you're ready, you're in the moment and you've done and, you know, the thing is like do all the work so that you can let it go and just be there in the scene doing your thing. Absolutely. You know, prepare for the performance you have to give and if part of your performance in the world of acting is mm. being present, being in the moment, being sensitive, your warm-up should sharpen you towards that. Yeah, and I think... Knowing that, like, I think a lot of people think uh, actors' hardest job is remembering lines, but I think knowing that that's probably maybe one of the simplest things, 
versus all the other prep that, like, as you just said, like sharpens you towards being ready in that moment. I, I think it's nice to like bust that myth. Like it isn't just learning your lines. It's understanding your blocking. It's knowing, you know, even like having a relationship to the shoes that your character is going to be wearing and understanding what that means for you in that era or of that time. And mm. I think it's a lot more work and research than people realise. Absolutely. But because it primarily takes place within. Yes. In the mind, in, you know, in the heart, in the soul. So that, and when we see a great actor just soar, it looks like he or she is doing nothing at all. Yeah, it looks like you know a bird flying. Yeah. So that 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 can lead us to think, okay, well, you know, it's just some people have got it and some people don't, and that's yeah. just the way it is. Totally. But it's not because it's like any craft; you can learn it. Yeah, but that's I remember my first ever vocal <laughs> class with you. So I wasn't even enrolled at Sixteenth Street, yes. which is where you teach and I study. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember I'd done a three day little workshop with Ian, who you and I both love. And I said to him at the end, "Oh, what would you recommend that I work on?" And he goes, "You're a head actor. You need to work with Matt on your voice." And so the first day I saw you, I was like, "Yo, I'm a head actor. I need. I don't know what that means." really. I need to work with you on my voice. I also wanted to learn a general American accent. And I remember I said to you, but I don't want to lose my Aussie accent. And you kind of smirked and you were like, okay. (laughs) And then you explained. It's cute that you think that you're in danger of losing it. (laughs) But also you you said, you know, what makes you so Australian is also like their lazy tendencies, like the jaw and you, can you explain what the Australian, how the Australian accent can be, um, a little lazier than, say, a general American accent? Sure. Well, primarily uh, the way anyone sounds from whatever country, whatever language, whatever accent they have is a product of the physical processes that are going on in the body. So it's easy to forget that the voice is just the sound the body makes. Mm. And everything you hear, whether it's singing or speaking or whatever, crying, yet laughing, it's just a byproduct of this very complicated machine we call the human body and the voice. So definitely with Aussies, there's a tendency for very little movement in the lips, yeah. in the tongue, in the jaw, in the skin, like on your cheeks and your sinuses. Yeah. And this can have the effect of creating a very sort of flat, thin sound that's quite nasal here in the yeah. mouth. You know, now I'm got, you're getting me to do my sort of Tassie voice here. <laughs> This is sort of how I used to sound and, you know, nothing really would sort of move and it would just all kind of become like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I actually have like a huge affection for really strong Australian accents and I always sort of light up and feel a bit cosy when I hear them. Totally. Especially overseas. Nothing better than than hearing an Aussie twang in, you know, an international airport terminal. Um, (laughs) But we absolutely, you know, for an Australian actor who has to do accent work and obviously the the general American accent is Mm. the one that you want to start with first if you want to work Uh, overseas, that requires, you know, an Olympic level engagement physically. And that's something that some Australian actors just aren't used to. And it's, it's like, you've got to go to the gym in order to do something as naturally as your own accent, which obviously we never get up and think I must sound Aussie today, or I must sound however I sound today. You open your mouth and there it is. Yeah. So it's a bit, again, there's that illusion, all that work that, and you can attest to this, all the hours you've put in of practice Mm. has to really just support you and cradle you in performance, but we don't want to be distracted by the technical stuff. We just want to go, oh, wow, I thought she was American. But but now I'm hearing an Australian accent come out of her mouth. This is so weird. That's the highest compliment you can be paid. Totally. I remember as well when we first had Jen um, class together, you were like, Lola, you're at the bottom of the mountain and that's okay because you can get to the top of the mountain. It just takes time. And you and you actually said to me, you're like, the more you put in, the more you get out with the voice, always. And so that's why I've always been like daily Lola practice. And do you remember you gave me that vow list of like she was seen to be evil yeah, the in the sentences, music. definitely. <laughs> daily. I've got them plastered in my right. room. I've got them on the fridge. And then I've got them in my little acting handout kind of thing. Wow. And I don't go a day without running at least even like four or five of those sentences because I'm like, this is something I don't want to lose either. Sure. And and if you, just on that, that's great because that shows you how that was a year ago yeah. that we started that process, right? So in yeah. a year of, you know, semi-regular practice with me and, and ongoing practice with yourself, you've come so far and now we're getting into dialects, southern dialects and oh, New York yeah. stuff. 
So that to me tells, okay, it took what, you know, a couple of years for you, for most of us as babies to go from not speaking to being able to yeah. speak a, you know, a coherent sentence. Well, we're just taking that process and squeezing it down with consciousness. Yeah. We're not just letting it soak in over, you know, those formative years. We're actively chasing after it every day. And what do you know? The body adapts. Yeah. Because the voice is so elastic in that way. I oh, Another thing, I keep going back to this first ever class that I had with you. I don't know why I am because I, it's funny. I think what I do when I interview people is I'm like, oh, my God, that was my first, I guess, not judgment call, but my first time of like really experiencing. And I remember in that first session you counted to ten in like four different accents like on the fly and I was like, oh, my God, what a great party trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you have a favourite accent? I've never asked you this. I've no. I, I'm always interested in the next one that I yeah. have to research or, or look into, and it's been great actually. During the last couple of months, there's been some really obscure demands placed on me. You know, actors yeah. having certain auditions that need a very specific sound. Did you have to do Russian or something recently? Or we, yeah, we did some Russian recently. I did. Um, I had to coach a student with a Baltimore accent, so the city of Baltimore in Maryland in the US, which, again, is just so obscure and so... What makes Baltimore different to other parts of America? Well, the one key sound for me is the O sound in words like goat or hope. That becomes, you know, in general American, O, hope, Hope. goat, something like that. In, In Baltimore, it gets really, really tight and narrow and we get O, no. Really? Joe DiMaggio. Really? Yeah. And so that's like that you can, that's where you start to sink your teeth into when you're approaching a new accent. You go, okay, that's a distinctive feature right there. Let's now build upon that. Because I've heard you do that goat set before with the New York accent and it changes dramatically from the general American. Yeah, you've, and that's that's really we're sort of talking about what makes up an accent yeah. and these are just building blocks. And if you yeah. think about them as like Lego, you know, you can take a box, uh, you know, a bucket full of Lego and construct many different shapes mm. from that. Accent work is just a process of taking those Lego blocks and rearranging them into a new shape, still using all the same blocks but creating something totally different. So that's what I love about this work in that it is very scientific in a sense. Yeah. It's also like cooking, so there's a bit of taste that's involved, but it's yeah. very scientific in that you're making these changes and it's very fair. You've as you said, said that. it's very yeah. very fair and and that can turn off some people because it's like, well, in in this day and age we want a quick fix and I want the shortcut, but this is the hard way up the mountain, but it will be it will absolutely repay every second of investment you put in. Is it like riding a bike? Once you've kind of got that in your body and in your psyche, it it kind of stays with you? Yes, it is. But like any uh, sports person, if you you compete at the Olympics and then let yourself go for two years, you can't go to the next Olympics without a massive undertaking. Yeah. So that's kind of the deal that we get. We sort of, David Mamet says, you know, we, we, we acquire our skill and our technique so slowly that it feels like we're not making any progress yeah. at all. But then by the same token, we also lose our technique and craft so slowly that we don't realise it's slipping away. And that leads to a lot of anxiety yeah. among actors and, and, and performers where it's like, I haven't got up there and done it in a year, let's say. Yeah. You second guess everything and then you bring all this tension and anxiety to it and what do you know? You walk out of there going, oh, I was terrible tonight. It didn't yeah. It didn't happen and the audience didn't, they felt that I didn't believe in it. So interesting. It yeah. also tells me like you see actors that love keep, like love to keep learning. I interviewed an actress who lives in LA and she was like, oh, I just love that I'm back at school in my spare time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be one of them. I want to keep working but studying and learning and flexing these muscles and building these muscles because what you've just said, like, it totally is a, it's kind of like a lifestyle. Like it has the to same be. way health is. You can either yeah. be healthy or, like, you know, 90% of the time and your body's going to be like, I got this. Yes, absolutely. But, yeah, you can't just go, I'm going to work really hard and then just drop the ball because it doesn't pay off. It'll it'll slip away. And, yeah. and that I love what you're saying about it's got to be a lifestyle. The, it, the voice is so subtle and it's so ubiquitous and we use it every day in so many different ways, both to communicate and also to conceal, to hide, mm. to, to be defensive. Mm. 
it, you can't have a free voice for the hour and a half you're on stage and then a trapped voice for the other 23 hours of, of the day. Totally. It has to be how you live in the world and, and I think that's one of the biggest surprises to any speaker who comes and works with on their voice. It's like, oh, it's changed how I am in the world. Yes. My emotional responses, my, my you know, how I deal with stress and tension yeah. have changed. How I interact with people has changed because obviously you've addressed something that's not just going to be, you know, refined or, or, or um, purely acting-based. It's everything. I think I think I told you about six months ago. I just did a drop-in class at this um, open night at an acting school, and and to get us out of our comfort zone, everyone had to get up and you know share something really personal about themselves. Mm. When it got to me, the teacher's like, "No, no, I want you to sing," and I was like, "Pardon? Never sung in my life. Auditioned for musical theatre straight out of school. Got told I had a pitching problem, so I've never been into singing, right? Ever." Um, and I was like what would you like me to do? And he said, I, just sing. He goes, I don't care if you sing happy birthday. And because you and I had done all this voice work, I was like, who cares? Like just just be real and vulnerable and keep your voice open. Mm-hmm. And I literally sung happy birthday. It was very uncomfortable and I would never want to, I would never willingly jump into the singing pool, but I was very comfortable being myself with my voice, if that makes sense. Great, Absolutely. One and, of the hardest things to do. Yeah, and I sat down and my friend goes, why were you worried? You can actually sing. And I'm like, I can't. I just understand my voice now. Like I've got and I'm more connected to my voice that it's almost like my voice and I aren't fighting against one another. We're working together on the same thing. That's how it feels when I communicate now. Absolutely. And and that's the power. The voice is so supple and adaptable. Ah. And if you... You know, so I remember, you know, in, yeah, in singing classes and working with people, you know, as a student and dealing with people um, who who were convinced they couldn't sing, but then if you said do an impression of a singer, suddenly there's their voice. It's like yeah. you can sing. It's yeah. just it's just how do you program the brain totally. to get that result? And you have to be a bit creative sometimes. Totally. In getting there. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, I want. I keep driving off track because you've got such a wonderful brain. Um, but your TV work has been really fun to explore as right. well. Right. Yeah, yeah. I got to see a clip of you on. Is it? Trip for Biscuits? Yeah, on And you ABC. were, like, super nerdy? Yeah. I think I was an alien in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and and there was something else I saw you in and we were just talking about it before. You're good, great at comedy. Thanks very much. I love it. Yeah. But when you're in class because Matt teaches me. <laughs> but you're so unfunny in class. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, you take it seriously, as any teacher yeah, should and yeah. would. So when I was researching you and seeing these quite funny kind of like larrikin almost roles, I was like, oh, my God, I'm seeing this whole other side that I'm not used to seeing. Sure. But if anything, and that, that's that's funny to hear that, um, but if anything, though, I'm even more serious and straight-faced when I'm working on a character like that and the process of making yeah. the film and the huge logistical task that is involved in that. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun to do, but it's just as serious as a voice class. So Ian Ian Sinclair, who I keep referring to, sure. he said if he's doing a play that's really serious, the rehearsals are light and funny. If he's doing a play that is light and funny, the rehearsals are really serious. I think that is that's a pretty widespread phenomena. Yeah. I think you have to counter it in some totally. way. Totally. So what you what we were just talking about was can't win do try yes. as well. Yeah. Now you play like an Aussie laric sort of chaotic <laughs> you know deviant. Was that so much fun? It actually that one actually really was because yeah. we were there in Perth shooting, you know, on Cottesloe Beach for like oh. a month and a half. It was, you know, height of summer. It, oh. it really was like a holiday. Yeah. And, you know, very fun ensemble comedy. But I like that because once I realised that my job was just to be like a tornado in every scene, my job was to <laughs> disrupt everything about these other characters' yeah. lives, it was really fun to go, oh, how yeah. can I unbalance you at every turn? <laughs> so good. Yeah, it was It was um, kind of therapeutic, strangely enough. Totally. Did you? And you won an award for that, um, Best Actor for Underground Film Festival, yes, is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Which Congratulations. Was, which was great, yeah, yeah, which was lovely. Plus, uh, this is what was so cool to read in your bio, um, voiceovers for Mazda, Renault, Spirit of Tassie. Sure. I need to look at these. I need to hear your voice, like your, is it voice acting? Is that what they would call it? Yeah, or voiceover. 
Because that I feel like that's a whole other beast, quite separate to acting in many yes. ways. And that was also, I guess, you know, just looping back to what kind of sent me down this vo- vocal pathway. I was doing a lot of voiceover work and obviously that's incredibly high pressure. You turn up, the script's put in front of you, you're expected to get it within the hour because then they have to pay you for another hour if you're still there. That's a lot of high pressure and it's incredibly technical because yeah. it's very dry information and we only have usually 30 seconds to get it out. So that was another interest of mine. Although my favourite stuff with that is I worked for um, Pearson Publishing yeah. and we did about <gasps> yeah. 80 digital kids' books that to be read on iPads and stuff in class and you had to do all these voices. So that was just all day you're in front of a microphone and I said, okay, we need a frog and a robot and a five-year-old boy. Go. And you just go with it and see what. In the moment. Well, and, you know, they shape it a little bit, but it's just like a giant, you know, improv game or something. Oh, so So that's my, that's really the juice, you know, that's the great stuff. Oh, I I could all, I feel like I could ask so many questions about that because I think, um, being thrown in the deep end like that but being able to like wrap your because your skill set is so specific and so you're you've finely tuned your voice that I imagine if someone gave you like something to play with like three things in one go you're just like yes please let me do it, this. it's so much fun yeah, yeah because then you're just your your instrument is is not getting in the way of your yeah. imagination. And yeah. that now all that hard, potentially demoralising, slightly boring work by yourself doing vocal exercises pays off because now you're able to translate what it is you feel and imagine out into the world with no blockages. And you just it's like you're running free, I imagine. Well, then it gets really fun because yeah. now it's like um, fueling itself. Yeah. So oh. you actually feel energised yeah. after a session rather than, than you know, tired. Oh, I love it. You're making me want to do voice work now. <laughs> That's a lot sounds, of fun. I like, I, when I was really young, like I'm talking in primary school, I had to record my voice on a kid's audio book. Oh, right. And I remember, but you're being yourself really, like in yeah. essence. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is so much fun yeah. back then. Okay, so for um, not just actors listening, but like anybody that gets nervous, we all get nervous, right? We all feel a little bit of pinch of anxiety. Right. Um, I recorded a podcast before you uh, a few hours ago and I could see and feel my voice. I could feel, I was like, oh, I'm a bit anxious right now. It took about a minute or so to kind of like just connect my breath, breath and kind of chill the F out. Mm. And I'm so chill with you because we've got this long-standing friendship for ages mm-hmm. now. So I didn't get any of that before this one. But what happens if you're an actor or anybody going into, say, an audition or any situation where you're like a meeting, <gasps> a presentation at work? Yeah, I'm nervous. A speech, right? Yeah. You know, there's plenty of opportunities where we have to use the voice, right? In a formal, semi-formal situation. And you get nervous. Like I know for me, like I lose my breath in a heartbeat. What are a few things we can do to if you're just like, okay, I'm nervous, I don't want to lose my voice, even if you're sitting in the car, you're about to go into that casting call or you're about to go in for a meeting or a job interview, is there anything we can kind of do to kind of like reground? Two things, one internal, one external. The first is realise that the ang- the anxiety and the, the insecurity and all those feelings are coming from thoughts. Right? Yep. And, that, and that's probably fueled from the subconscious and going, oh, you're not good enough, the, the inner critic. Well, instead of identifying with those thoughts too much and then letting them strangle the voice, mm-hmm. I think it's good to observe them. And I always sort of, you know, when a thought like that pops in, oh, my voice doesn't feel good or I'm not ready or I'm out of time or I don't feel good today, I sort of go, oh, how interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And what do you know what that thought goes away? The more you try and banish it and, and sweep it under the carpet, the stronger it gets. But when, you know, those sorts of insecurities pop in, it's more about acknowledging them and saying, how interesting, I'm feeling I'm feeling like that. You sound like a yogi. Yogi is a yoga, there's a movement called, well, not movement, a lesson called shakshin, and it means to stand witness when you're in the fire. Mm. So you notice this bit of fiery stuff, but you don't react to it. You're just like, okay. I can see you, you're there, I'm still me, that's Mm. a thought, that's not who I am, Mm. that's just a thought. Absolutely, and the harder you resist that thought, the heavier it gets. It's actually, it's like a paradox to to take off that, you know, boulder around your neck. Totally. You've got to relax, not tense. Yeah. So I think that that's a big thing right there. 
don't let those thoughts control you. And we do that by acknowledging them. Mm-hmm. Hmm, how interesting. The second thing is in terms of practicality, um, it's the breath, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously okay. saying to an actor, breathe, can provoke a strange response because yeah. obviously we're all breathing all the time. We do it unconsciously eight hours a night pretty successfully. But what I mean is don't don't allow the natural rhythm of your breath, which changes moment to moment depending mm-hmm. on what you're doing, don't let that natural rhythm be suffocated and, and strangled by tension. Yeah. And by tension I mean physical tension, emotional tension or mental tension. So if you hold your breath, you lose your breath. And one good uh, you know, little exercise is to take the thumb of your non-dominant hand. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm right-handed, so I'll take my left thumb mm-hmm. and I'll gently press that left thumb into the palm of my right hand. Mm-hmm. And if you do that right then, immediately you start to feel you're more aware of your back ribs. Really? I'm going to try. Yeah, give it a go. Matt's doing this in the moment. I'm sitting here with this my notebook. This is live, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see. <laughs> So you take your non-dominant hand, yeah. your non, non-dominant thumb, press that into your dominant hand just mm. lightly mm. and just breathing through the mouth. Mm. Oh, mouth, I forget your mouth breathing. I get, I've been doing yoga, heaps of yoga. Sure. Yeah, you feel automatically a bit more grounded, yeah. More grounded. I get a, a sense of that the breath is going deeper into my lower yeah. back. What is that? What's that activating? Well, we're act- activating, you know, a... Uh, a pressure point. Of course. Yeah. So right there, I think as well, you know, you know, in that and finally when you're there in front of the board, in front of the wedding party, whatever it is, that desire to communicate to someone yeah. really makes a big difference. And the difference between a boring speaker who you just fall asleep to and you can't wait until they get off the stage and someone who's so engaging and captivating I think is that connection between a speaker and a listener. Yeah. So if you can put your attention on what's going on out in front of you, the other people that are supposed to be receiving it, that's always a much more interesting thing than focusing on ourselves. It's a good way to get out of your head too because you're, yeah. you, we're, as human beings, we're so self-orientated and so by flicking the perception a little bit and your focus point, it can kind of get you out of the way a bit. It's an outwardly directed focus now rather than an inwardly directed focus, yeah. which always leads us to sort of go round and round in our head yeah. with a, a negative litany totally. of, that, of negative thoughts. I asked you this question last time we were on Zoom and it was because I had a guest on this podcast who is a, has been working in radio for 21 years, before that did 16 years of hosting the new the Channel 9 News mm. and singer, baritone singer, and his name is Dennis Walter. For any Melburnians listening and watch the carols, he's like the king of the Melbourne carols by candlelight, beautiful voice. Right. But he has this presence when he speaks and it's very powerful. And I remember I said to you, it's like that old school news voice that is just like honest it's commanding it's powerful very reassuring yeah it's not ego at all it's more like yeah you can you feel like you can really trust the voice Mm. and then we talked about other actors that have kind of got that like um so Patrick Stewart's kind of got that vibe and that whole era of is it Ian McCallum McCallum, Judy Dench you know from the the Royal Shakespeare Company in the 70s and your response was chess resonance is kind of what gives people that real, that it, it sounds like a theatre voice. That's the only way I can describe it. I'd say that's absolutely, that's one part of the puzzle. And yeah. certainly when you do think of those low, deep baritone voices, yeah. you're hearing a lot of the vibrations in, in their chest. Mm-hmm. Obviously the bones are the perfect conducting surface for vibrations. Yeah. And vibrations are, that's the voice. Yeah. Sound totally. waves. Yeah. So when those vibrations are gathered and, and intensified in a certain area, you're going to hear a different timbre totally. to, to the voice. Yeah. I would say, though, that, that coming back to sort of Kristen Linklater's work and, and, and many others, because yeah. obviously all voice teachers are, and acting teachers are just describing the same state. Totally. A different language, mm-hmm. different methods, but it's the same goal. Yeah. Um, when all of the voice is free physically and emotionally, then however the voice escapes, wherever it resonates, what, how high or low the pitch of that note is, it will connect yeah. with the listener. And as we know, both 
if we've been in a situation of heightened emotions or if we've witnessed it in someone else, it's very unpredictable as to how someone will vocally manifest a strong emotion. Yeah. You hear stories about people saying, oh, you know, my, my, my father died and I had the g- biggest laugh of my life. Mm. Mm. Now, why should those two things coincide? And yet, obviously, they did and they yeah. are connected. So I think that that's the, as, as long as we're trying to be out of control in a, in a healthy way, that's the ultimate power because that will connect with someone no matter what. Big time. And for me as well, I think because you and I have studied a lot together over the last year, I notice voices now too. Like I can yes. audit, I audit some other classes um, at 16th Street and, and if someone comes on with a really boomer of a voice, I'm like, oh, how can I get more of that? Sure. <laughs> and I'm like, how can I? Because because I'll look at that and be like, how can I implement that? Because I that and I said this even to Dennis. I was like, how can I get more of what you're doing? Because I love that that voice is trusting and that voice is deep and that voice is connected and that voice is honest. And as you just said, like it's the natural, it's the free, it's who you really are. Yes. And I think that it, underneath all that we've we've talked like technically about things today, but underneath it all, it sounds like it really comes back to just connecting to yourself. Absolutely, because if that's not there, then what is the voice revealing? It's just an empty musical instrument and the Mm. voice is so much more than a musical instrument. I think when we cooperate with our design, good things happen Mm. and human beings come from the factory pretty well wired up. Mm. We don't have to make too many changes vocally. We actually learn all the bad habits and, you know, sitting on chairs and being told, you know, you just... uh, referenced your singing teacher saying you were a bit pitchy Mm. and that's something that's obviously stuck but you know these words leave their impact (laughs) yeah um good yeah good things happen when we cooperate with that design and I think also so many acting teachers have said this and they were like if you want to you know be a good actor so to speak understand your body, connect to your voice, understand it, understand your psychology. And really, if you think about it, these things can be applied to any human being that wants to live a whole life, really. Absolutely. They, they will for sure increase the quality of your life. How cool is that? And that's just a bonus, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Better life as a, yeah. as a side effect. I think as well it's, it's really important to say in, in a conversation like this that all voices are valid. Mm. We've certainly moved beyond the uh, the My Fair Lady school of vocal yeah. training where we were trying to go for a very particular model. Yeah. You, were try- you were actually ba- binding your voice up to sound more like some gold standard than to sound like yourself. Yeah. That's not the idea anymore, thank yeah. goodness. And so for anyone who's kind of maybe listening to this or has done voice, you know, has used their voice in a, in a slightly pressure-filled context before, they might be thinking, yeah, but I don't have a good voice. See, that's my problem, Matt. I don't have a good voice, so I'm screwed. Actually, the qualities that we're discussing, the connection, the resonance, when someone's voice really cuts you Mm. to the core and you hear everything they're feeling in the voice, these are not... Again, these are not um, timbres. These are it's not the sound. It has to be boomy. It has to be loud. It has to be sharp. Mm. It has to be crisp. A human, nothing is more powerful or potent or cleansing mm. than witnessing your fellow human being stand up and speak the truth. Yeah. And that's truth with a capital T. Yeah. yeah not yeah. necessarily two plus two equals four. Yeah. That's the truth of how I feel right now. Yeah. And it's no surprise that we've been gathering in the dark in groups for at least 100,000 years to witness stories. Yes. And that that instinct in human beings is not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. So I think that anyone can develop more connection, truth, and ownership of their voice no matter where you're coming from. And it doesn't mean that you have to sound like someone else. Totally. If anything, the greatest actors sound like themselves. Selves. Big time. And that's why it stays with us long after we've left the movie theatre or the or, yeah. or you know what or the play because we heard them up there that's a courageous act yeah 
to allow yourself to be seen like that. Yeah, I love it. Mm. I found this this chat. This is going so fast, by the way. So I've only got two more questions for you. We're nearly at time. Can you believe it? Oh well, it just flies, doesn't it? It does. It really does. <laughs> um, okay, so you've described all these different kind of facets of your life. You know, you're an actor. You're a dialect coach. Um, you're very passionate about voice. You know, you play the guitar. We know. I know you're a musician, and I'm going to say it on here. <laughs> I'm blushing silently, folks. <laughs> So when does time stop for you? Like if you were like, you were describing when you were doing the characters and you had so much fun and, and you know, we learn a lot about flow and finding that moment where time kind of falls away and you're just in that thing that you love. Is it for you more theatre or is it t- being on TV set or film or what would it be for you? I think it's, it's, it's in all those things. For me, I've realised that <clears throat> I'm not going to be happy in my life unless I'm creative. Yes. And that can is a pretty broad definition. Mm-hmm. So for me, the, my hobbies and the things that I do for enjoyment are all about trying to express that creativity and tap into that flow state, which, you know, especially in the lockdown that we've been in in Melbourne, there's so much time to fill. Yeah. If you can fill that with a creative task where you're really, the time's just flying by and you're flowing, mm. that's ideal. So everything you just described gives me that. I think that I'm happy doing anything as long as it's creative. Mm. That's the thing. Totally. I, that's the thing I need to feed. Yeah, I agree, and I think that choosing to live that way is actually very courageous because, like, creativity is, you know, it, it, it's such a rich way to live in so many ways. But it comes with a lot of uncertainty because you don't know when your next job's coming. You don't know mm. what the next thing's going to be. But you've kind of got to take these creative risks and forge forward and be like, like even the way you said at the beginning. You know, you had feedback that your voice wasn't strong enough and, you know, and then be like, okay, well, game on. I'm going to dive into the voice. And I think, yeah, I think that creativity is king, but it also is with courage that gives you that kind of like driving force to just forge forward and be like, I'm going to do whatever I do, but as long as it's creative. I agree. Yeah, it is. The trick is living off it. Totally. Um, But I think that whether you earn $1 or a million from it, if you don't want to create for its own sake because it makes you happy because you would be unhappier if you weren't, I, I, I question whether or not I question whether or not you're going to stick it out because it's a long road and mm. unless you're, you, you know, I feel lucky sometimes because it's all within myself. I don't need yeah. anyone's permission to be creative. Yeah. I just need the courage of my own, you know, insecurities or whatever to not let them get in the way and say, well, I'm going to put something out there. Yeah. Um, that's 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 a big part. That'll keep you <laughs> warm in the cold <laughs> years or yeah. decades of, yeah. of a career in the in the arts, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that though because I think that there is like this romanticism of the arts and then there's, you know, the struggling artist as well and I think that, there and one thing like my background is comes from more like running my businesses and stuff so now coming to I feel like I've almost come into it the back the back way having done the Mm. businessy stuff and I'm like oh wow like oh I can implement that bit of creativity over here in this business but I still did more businessy things and I think that um even being in class I'm like oh wow like oh chat someone they're like well I'm a singer and an actor and that's all I know and that's all I've ever done I'm like oh, my God, well, I'm a nutritionist. How weird do I feel right now? But it, it is interesting and it's really important, I think, to have conversations about arts and business and getting the two to come together because there are lean months, lean years and years that um, you've kind of got to keep fanning that little fire within you, you know? Absolutely. Because it is worth sticking out because those mag- – and there's the, a million sayings about like right at the point you want to give up, you get the big gig sure, and all that sure. stuff too. So, sure. But, yeah, I think that would be a whole other podcast conversation about like the business of the arts because I think there is a way to make it work for you. Uh, for Absolutely. me, example, like doing the podcast. How cool. Yeah. Okay, this is a funny question, okay. but I know that I can ask you. Right. I love hearing you do a New York accent. Can you please do a little bit of a New York accent? Well, see, the thing about New York is you got to squeeze your way into a conversation, okay? No one's going to uh, no make way for you, okay? So you, you, you might be waiting a long time if you're waiting for someone to invite you to talk. So you got to say, hey, listen, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to finish what I'm saying. Okay. Thank you so go, much. Go, go Jets. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. And you've helped me so much with both my general American accent, my Southern accent. And with lockdown, I have realised how great doing Zoom classes with you has been. Yeah, it's worked out well, hasn't it? And you, yeah. And I'm su- I'm surprised how well um, vocal work and dialect work has converted online. Like I'm so. Me too. It, it was such a pleasant surprise yeah. of lockdown. And I intend on working with you for many, many future years to come. If people want to know more about you and get involved with what you're doing, you do do Zoom consults, don't you, Absolutely. basically? Yeah, 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 one-on-one private yeah. uh, online and if which, you're not in, you know, Melbourne or within driving distance of, of where I am. And if those uh, actors or, you know, creatives are like, oh, I don't know what to work on but I want to work on my voice, like all that I – sometimes I'll just find a monologue and I'll be like, hey, Matt, can we work on this monologue I Absolutely. found? Absolutely. There's no shortage of material or write something yourself. Yeah. Oh. You know. Yeah. There's no shortage of material out there. That that's not that's not an impediment these days with the internet. Oh, I love and it. All these subscription services and scrib, you know, and all that sort of thing. If finally, if anyone could do one thing to help their voice from listening to this today, what would you say? It's a loaded question. Not loaded, but it's a big question. I think. Have the courage to release how you feel, what you think, and to claim your voice and your identity because they're so wrapped up every time you speak. Look out for how often your voice is used defensively to hide, to barricade, to protect. What if you chose to do something different next time? I think you don't, you know, a good piece of advice is you don't have to do it perfect every time. Just do it perfect this time mm. and the rest will take care of itself. So good. You are a legend. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a total honour, my friend. Thank and you, yeah. Thank you great. for being such a wonderful voice and dialect coach for me because uh, you've completely changed the way I use my voice. I cannot speak highly enough. Anyone listening that may want to check Matt out, I'll put all your details in the show notes so people can check you out. Matt Filani, thank you very much. You're amazing. Pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, Lola. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm-hmm.